Guys, good Monday afternoon. I'm Jerry Miller. Welcome to the I Love Seville show. Thank you kindly for joining us live from our building in downtown Charlottesville, the Macklin building on Market Street. So much to cover on today's show. Today, I will ask this question. Is this the best week for restaurants in Charlottesville and Albemarle County? March Madness opening four days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Those four days, the most exciting of the tournament. Hope is in the air. Fan bases are out supporting their teams, spending money in restaurants and bars, catering, enjoying college basketball. On top of that, you have St. Patty's Day this weekend, or excuse me, St. Patty's Day on Friday. Often St. Patty's does not fall on a holiday, or excuse me, a weekend. Friday certainly fits that bill. March Madness and St. Patty's Day, is this the best week possible for restaurants in the community? And speaking of March Madness, Virginia basketball um, is a four seed. They play Furman, as, Furman, as you know. Furman, the underdog, UVA, five-and-a-half-point favorite. Tip-off, 1240 Thursday on True TV. A couple of other items out of the notebook before we talk Um, Some fantastic coverage from the local newspaper, the Daily Progress, in the Sunday edition, the marquee weekly edition of this newspaper, with sidebar coverage from University of Virginia students with how they feel about recent shootings, analytical perspective from Michael Kochis, the police chief, and frankly, just a lot of robust media attention on gun and gun and gang violence that is captivating this community Understandably so. Last item out of the notebook before we go to the two-shot, Bellamy Brown is going to join us on this show on Friday. Bellamy Brown is a friend of the program. He's running for delegate. His opponent, Katrina Colson, she joined us this past Friday. Dave Norris also in the mix, as is is Deshaun Cooper. I will work to feature each of the candidates running for delegate on today's program. Bellamy Brown will join us on the show this Friday. Tell Bellamy... Um, we're we're going to spotlight them. I, I said it once, I'll say it again. Fantastic upside, fantastic leader, fantastic human, police civilian review board experience, all around great guy, did not win a spot on council in 2019 while running as an independent. Now he's running as a Democrat for delegate. I said on Friday during the Katrina Colson interview that I would think the favorites to win this seat are Katrina Coulson and Dave Norris. I will stand by that statement. I know there are four people in this race, Deshaun Cooper, Bellamy Brown, Katrina Coulson, and Dave Norris. However, Katrina Coulson and Dave Norris, why I think they are the favorites is because of the elected political experience they have on their resume. Cooper and Brown do not have that elected political experience on the resume where Norris and Coulson do. That being said, Bellamy Brown would be a hell of a delegate. He would exceed expectations in this position if he's fortunate to get elected. He'll join us on the program on Friday. We'll spotlight his platform and what he is all about. That is going to be the most competitive race, the most competitive race in November in an off-off year is this delegate race to fill Sally Hudson's spot. A close second is Sally Hudson versus Creed Eats. Actually, both of these would be June primaries. So we'll know the outcome of both of these in June and the Democratic primary. These are your two most competitive races here, folks. Cree and Sally, State Senate, and Brown, Norris, Cooper, and Colson, House of Delegates, each of them primaries, Democratic primaries, very competitive. All right, so mark your calendar, Bellamy Brown on Friday on the program. Jude, I want to weave you in on a two-shot here. I'll make this comment here. While I do not think that this is the most lucrative week for restaurants in Albemarle and Charlottesville, I think that week is probably move-in week Mm. or a graduation week because of the tens of thousands of people that hit this community. When you have a St. Paddy's Day on a Friday, which we do this week, at the same time March Madness opens, it starts Thursday, UVA games Thursday, 1240 against Furman, their five-and-a-half-point favorites. This one's a close second. And I know college basketball, not your cup of tea, but you're a huge evangelist of Charlottesville and Alamore County. These businesses need the uptick in revenue, 
And, and we've seen it firsthand. We saw Ace Biscuit and Barbecue announce their closing. They have since sold out of food and now are officially closed because they have more, no more food to sell. Mm-hmm. Once we talked last week that Ace Biscuit and Barbecue was going to close later this month, a flood of people bought all their food, yeah. which is awesome. Yeah. Not only buying food, T-shirts, memorabilia, whatever it may be. We've seen Ace close. We know Firefly's for sale. We've seen Peloton Station close. We've seen Little Star close. We, more restaurants than we can count that have closed. So anytime these guys get an uptick with the St. Paddy's Day on a Friday, mm-hmm. UVA playing on Thursday in March Madness, and the four-day opening weekend of the NCAA men's basketball tournament, both of us are happy. Both of us are very happy, and we know they need it. Um, I want to cover the coverage from the progress over the weekend. It was robust coverage. I was tweeting with... Um, I want to make sure I get his name right. His name is uh, Warrior AG. Welcome to the program. Thank you kindly for joining us. Um, I sent a tweet to the Charlottesville Daily Progress staff. In fact, it was in response to Reynolds Hutchins. Reynolds Hutchins is the city editor of the Charlottesville Daily Progress. I'll include a tag of Reynolds Hutchins in this post. This team is doing an incredible job. In the Sunday edition, the Progress examined the recent rise in gun violence in Charlottesville and the surrounding area. They spoke with officials and experts trying to understand why this sudden and sharp rise in shootings has occurred. This is straight from Reynolds Hutchins' Twitter account. The Daily Progress staff interviewed Charlottesville's police chief about the proposed gun buyback program that's been floated. Many experts threw shade on the gun buyback program, which we've talked about on this show. They spoke with, this is the one that really resonated with me. They spoke with UVA students whose lives were shocked or rocked, as Reynolds Hutchins posted on Twitter, with the November school shooting, the three UVA football players that were murdered. Mm -hmm. UVA students, according to this report from The Progress, says shootings are now an ever-present thing in their mind. So there's almost a sense of, um, it's not apathy, but expectation, Lack of surprise for shootings. Like, yeah, what's the wor- like? What's the word? You're a wordsmith. You know, what's? It's not apathy. It's just like, oh, it's just another shooting. They're acclimating to a new reality. Yeah, <clears throat> well said. Acclimation to a reality of gun violence. Yeah. Becoming accustomed to it. Right. I mean, that's essentially what's being talked about here. So the newspaper's done a hell of a job. Reynolds Hutchins, I'll tag you in this thread here in a matter of moments so you know we're giving you some props. Where do you want to begin on this topic? Show is yours. Anywhere you want to go, J-Dubs. I'll respond to you. Well, I think it's... Um, I, I, wonder, I wonder when the university is going to be more heavily affected by, by this. Um, as... as uh, I. Obviously, the students that are there already are, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to like, uh, they're not going to go running. They're not going to leave UVA. Um, but uh, another thing that the, uh, another thing the article talks about is, uh, I think, uh, just how widely known the issues are. Um, the students are getting, uh, they're not just. It's not just about the the shooting on campus. Um, they're also getting notifications uh, almost daily about uh, you know gun violence, sheltering in place, um, things going on around uh, the city and the county uh, that they that in the past they might not have even known about. Like when you went to UVA? Didn't even know about it. All I knew about was do not cross, um, don't go past Boylan. At the time, it was orbits. Yeah. Don't go beyond uh, orbits, now Boylan Heights. Stay in the UVA corner. Do not go past 14th Street. Yeah. So that's, now, all, that's all we knew. So now these kids are getting, uh, they're getting almost daily notifications about stuff going on and, uh, um, you know, their families are learning about this stuff. That's an interesting phenomenon. When 
the king of orbit. Are you watching the program here? Um, James Watson met a very valuable and appreciated listener of this program, James Watson, while he was a barkeep at orbit, uh, while I was a student at the University of Virginia. While I was at UVA from 2000 to 2004, we lived in the bubble. We stayed on grounds. Yeah. We stayed on Rugby Road, Madison Avenue. We stayed on the UVA corner. We didn't go past 14th Street. We didn't venture to Midtown. We didn't venture downtown. We didn't go to breweries and wineries. Mm-hmm. We did not leave the bubble. We knew nothing that was happening in this community, nothing from an affordable... I mean, look at the students now. The students at the University of Virginia, the Cavalier Daily in the last 30 days, they've written an article where student council at the University of Virginia is now lobbying UVA into a payment in lieu of taxes program. This was strictly a city council, Michael Payne, isolated lobbying effort now the Cavalier Daily and UVA Student Council is lobbying the University of Virginia. Hey, you need to contribute more money to the ecosystem that you're a part of. You're not doing the ecosystem justice. They're doing yeah. that. The Cavalier Daily is writing articles about the Charlottesville Almoral SPCA and those difficulties. Yeah. That's in the Cavalier Daily. Mm-hmm. The Cavalier, Cavalier Daily is writing articles about gun and gang violence. The Cavalier Daily is talking about restaurants to try in this community. They're talking about the, the criminal justice reform efforts that have happened here. The student is a much more robust and informed student with their intellect. Yeah. I and, mean, it's getting harder to... You, I, I think you can, still, uh, you can still paint yourself a, a bubble um, just because you have social media, just because you have... Uh, uh, smartphone doesn't mean that uh, doesn't mean that you can't turn it all off and uh, and ignore what's going on out there but it is getting harder I think and uh, certainly more more students are aware of that stuff I, I'm wondering when it will start to affect uh, you know will um, you know we, we talk about whether or not uh, this, all this gun violence is going to start affecting neighborhoods. Um, our 10th and Page and some of the other neighborhoods are going to start losing some, uh, some market value in their homes. Uh, <clears throat> and to that... He's not convinced of that yet. I'm not necessarily convinced of it either, but, uh, but to, that, to that point, um, how long before, before um, UVA starts seeing the effects... How long before people start, uh, you know, <coughs> taking a long, hard uh, uh, think about uh, about it when they when they're deciding where to apply for for schools? Well, um, all good points you made, per usual. Judah B. Wickhour, we appreciate you. The man's blossoming from not only the director of this program, but a key broadcasting perspective that we count on in the show. Counter argument to that is 2027, um, and if you could check the I Love Seville Facebook page, I Love Seville specifically, to make sure we're live streaming there. I see us streaming to my personal page, and I see us streaming to the um, um, elsewhere, but make sure I Love Seville Facebook and I Love Seville group are active. I think James is watching now. Um, James, remember when we, when I was a student and you were working at Orbit? The idea of walking past 14th Street when we were in our early 20s as students, or if you were in a grad, I think you were in graduate school then, we just did not do that. Um, mm. Now that's not the case. Um, Bob Yarborough calls it acceptance. The students are accepting of the fact that shootings are reality of their life. And the King of Redfields, Bob Yarborough, makes the comment also, let's remember this generation grew up with active shooter drills. And because they grew up with active shooter drills since elementary school, they are much more aware than previous generations of the potential devastation of gun violence. It's a good comment right there Definitely. from uh, Bob Yarborough. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I don't think it's going to impact admissions, and I can back that up by saying, did you see the I Love Seville Facebook and I Love Seville group? We live streaming there? I'm checking. Okay, because I don't, I don't see the stream there. In class of 2027, the folks that applied for the class of 2027, the students, was at an all-time high for the University of Virginia. 
So as of right now, the crime reported by media is not impacting students enrolling in school here at Charlottesville and UVA, as of right now. But it's a fair question, when and if. Another question that we follow closely in the program is when do the University of Virginia parents get involved wondering about the safety and security of their kids? Because when that group of people do, then you have a different level of momentum and attention. We're talking about the Daily Progress coverage from over the weekend and their Sunday edition and the fantastic work that these reporters are doing on a shoestring budget. And I sincerely mean fantastic reporting by this team of, of, of hungry uh, and talented reporters. The gun buyback program, as we covered on the show last week, folks are wondering on the legitimacy of it. Regardless, everyone's agreeing that it's offering the community an opportunity to connect with police officers in a human connection kind of way that may not exist currently, and that has value. Do we think true guns will get off the streets from actual criminals using them? No. Judas mentioned that point. A criminal's not going to go to a gun back program and sell his gun for a couple hundred bucks when that criminal probably needs that gun to do criminal-type stuff. And, and on I, top of that, why would they risk getting arrested? And I doubt they're getting a couple hundred bucks. Well, no, in the article it was that. A broken gun, I think, was like 25. A gun that wasn't functioning was like 25. It went as high as like 250, 300 for guns. Like, and, and it was based on um, a gun buyback program from Richmond, Virginia, where Mayor Stoney in Richmond utilized the same gun, back, gun buyback program. Mm-hmm. And he said, even if we get one gun off the street, he finds it as a successful endeavor. That, that, that was what the mayor of Richmond said. Yeah. Um, I, I think if we get only one gun off the street for a gun buyback program, on paper, that's not a successful endeavor. <laughs> no. But it does offer, we should not, and it's hard to quantify the value of police interacting with people in the community at a program like this. It's hard to value that. It's hard to put a tangible value on that. But that has value. Police interacting with people in a non-arresting manner. Yeah. A non-accountability manner. Where they're right. just talking. I mean, that's... You know what Conscious is trying to do? I was talking about this with my wife. Conscious the Chief is trying to do exactly what we do with brands and businesses at VMV Brands, our advertising agency. He's localizing, humanizing, and personalizing the police department. He's localizing it by walking through the neighborhoods. He's personalizing and humanizing it by not only walking through the neighborhoods, but listening to learn. Mm-hmm. That's localizing, personalizing, and humanizing. Yeah. Albert Graves on Twitter, it's not affecting enrollment now, but if it keeps on happening and gets worse, it will. And he says, thank you for the daily progress for caring and covering local news, unlike the local TV news who would rather cover a shooting from New York than focus on local issues. Um, I read this live on air, um, Warrior AG. Thank you for watching. He also says restaurant week or Easter weekend should be included on that list. Um, as impactful for restaurants in the area. Dylan's Rule says the only other week that I'd point to as a competitor to this week for restaurants in Seville is the Film Festival Weekend. Film Festival Weekend has a, uh, there was Devin Barcheleski who just walked by the program. Devin Barcheleski, hello. I always mess up your name, Devin. I do that because I, I care. One of our fine viewers and listeners walking by the show. Um, face-to-face with folks in the community is going to have... I hope they have the gun buyback program. I hope they do it. Okay. I hope it becomes a reality. I hope they get some FaceTime. Michael Rogers and Cotchis have both said they're going to do it. It looks like they're going to. That has value. Um, is it going to get a lot of steel off the street? No. You highlighted that point. Yeah, just logically doesn't make sense. Because criminals aren't going to go to the police and say, here's my gun, I used it for criminal activity. That's what you're saying. I mean, they, do they have any reason, unless they really, really badly need money, what reason do they have for, uh, for selling their guns? Outside of money, probably nothing. Because 
for a criminal, a gun has use, has value. Yeah, it's like asking everybody in Charlottesville to sell their cars and not buy another one. You think it's like that? Yeah. It's like I, I was going to attribute it more to like a phone. A gun for a criminal and the gang and drug trade is like an iPhone for Judah Wickower, Bob Yar- Yarborough, Shane Cerbati. Shane Cerbati is watching the program and she says, I love, love, love Judah's hairstyle. Thank I'm you. tagging you on this. I will make sure Judah Wickower sees this by tagging him. I'm just tagging you. I love, love, love the hairstyle, she says. Got a lot of props it. on this hairstyle. The only tough part is I think you might have to go back to California for a haircut because you got it in California, did you not? No, no, I got it at... Uh, oh, you got it here locally? Yeah. Oh, you did? Haircuttery. You got it before you left? Ballsy. Haircuttery is ballsy to go to. You never know who you're going to get. That's kind of like a crapshoot. Or do you I have a go-to person? I don't know that I've ever gotten the same person at uh, Haircuttery. But I'm just, uh, I mean, I, she asked what I wanted, and I was like, I mean, I'm cutting all this off. I mean, buzz the back and sides, leave the top, like what? I said, I don't know, two inches, something like that. And I was like, just make me look good. I'm not very picky. You're not very picky. Just make me look good? Yeah. I mean, well, go ahead. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to mess up uh, short hair. Ah. That's, that's a ballsy statement. As long as you're not asking for a bowl cut. It's a ballsy statement. It's kind of hard to mess up short hair. I mean, you had a drastic change there. Yeah. Which, I mean, I respect. Um, Bob Yarborough says, Judah and Jerry, uh, good point. The gun buyback is an active step, a concrete and tangible effort. Kevin Yancey says, most will sell a broken gun and use the cash to get another one that does work. The broken gun's only yielding about 25 bucks if they use the same value uh, monetary system that Richmond did. 25 bucks ain't going to buy a gun, but it could be utilized to contribute to the purchase of a new gun. Kevin Yancey, I'll give you that. I guess I'm just not as uh, conspiracy theory or, or hoping to give the benefit of the doubt here. And maybe the, the, uh, the egg will be on my face by giving the benefit of the doubt to folks. Um, It's a mess. It's a mess. I mean, Keith set us up on a on a on a search for Fifeville on the MLS. Yeah. Um, and did you see that the house seven nineteen Nall Street? Yeah. Just went under went under contract in Fifeville. Nall Street is in Fifeville, where a lot of this violence, like right in the heart of where this violence is happening, and there's a home in Fifeville seven nineteen. Null Street, that has gone under contract. The list price is 575000 and it went under contract in nine days. It has two bedrooms, two bathrooms, and it is on a piece of land that is 0.13 acres. So we're talking about a house that's not that big. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the house right in the center of the brouhaha of the violence. A house with a five in front of it that's two bedrooms and two baths on a postage stamp of a lot, right? 1,600 square feet, not even, under contract in nine days. Yeah. I think we're, uh, I think we're still in a, in a point in time uh, where, where the, uh, the gun violence is not, uh, you know, the people that watch this show know about it, and people, people around Charlottesville have some inkling about it and are questioning what's going on. But I think uh, you've got people, you got people coming into the city and you've got people that just, uh, you know, you've got people that are already in the city and probably don't really care what neighborhood is, you know, somebody moving into, moving to Nall Street. I don't think they're going to be, you know, they're not coming from, they're not selling a place on rugby and buying a place on Nall Street. Yeah, they they may be moving up, and so they're less uh, they're less inclined to care about uh, you know what's going on, and I think we're still we're also playing catch up in terms of uh, with a lot of this stuff um, that we're talking about. We're playing catch up in terms of what you know what people know, how much it's um, becoming endemic. 
So people may not people may be hearing about uh, you know um, gunfire and things like that, but do they really associate that with uh, with higher you know higher crime, higher gun violence in Charlottesville, in uh, Fifeville? Because they may not be you know the uh, the great coverage that you've mentioned about uh, with um, with the Daily Progress. I, I feel is fairly new, and how many people are really... Uh... Daily Progress coverage, I'll give you that. Daily Progress coverage over the last... It's really picked up in the last month or two. I, I would say longer than that. Okay. I would say within the last six months, it's picked up. When they brought on Hall Spencer, and then Cindy Schuler, then Alice Berry, and now this gentleman, Reynolds Hutchinson, the city editor... The newspaper coverage is, is, is exponentially jumped. And there was undoubtedly this gap between the previous um, reporters that were there, Catherine Knott, um, Allison Rabel, Nolan Stout. Those writers were the last generation of reporters with the progress. Yeah. And as those writers tried to form a union at the newspaper, that unionization effort did not really vibe well with management, and they had a falling out. Yeah. And that group, the Catherine Knott, Allison Rabel, Nolan Stout generation of writers for The Progress, ended up quitting and are doing different things. Allison Rabel's working for Albemarle County right now. Nolan Stout is in Northern Virginia. Catherine Knott's in Northern Virginia. Then they went through this purgatory period at The Progress where they could not churn content of quality to keep the community engaged so the newspaper became an afterthought. Yeah. The articles were basically... Associated Press, AP Wire. A paragraph long. Now they have staff in play. Mm -hmm. And Eric Mayberry, the president of the Daily Progress... I think is leading that charge. Someone tell Eric Mayberry we're giving him some props here, the president of the Daily Progress. He's staffing the paper up, and as he staffs the paper up, you're getting two to four stories a day out there that are legitimate reads. And this Sunday edition of The Progress was one of the best Sundays I've seen of this newspaper mm. in an extended period of time. Yeah. Okay, so it's, 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 I'm impressed. Now... Albert Graves on Twitter says, buses are still late for my kids. They were 50 minutes late this morning. Kevin Higgins and Greenwood will talk about Greenwood, the buses continuing to arrive 90 minutes late. You still have teachers that are quitting or apathetic or disenchanted. You have collective bargaining an issue. We talked collective bargaining with Katrina Colson on Friday. You were impressed with Ms. Colson. You thought she did a hell of a job with the interview. So did I. I thought she did a hell of a job. Reminder, Bellamy Brown, one of her opponents on the show this Friday. The the, the same storylines and themes are still prevalent and exist. We haven't solved busing. Right. We haven't solved transportation. We haven't solved teacher shortages and teacher apathy and teacher disenchantment. We haven't solved a third of the police department empty. In Charlottesville City. Mm-hmm. We haven't found a new city manager. We don't have a permanent city attorney. Right? We still have the same problems persisting. Yeah. And, and they don't seem to be getting any better. You know Almoro County's police department? You know what their vacancy rate is? Uh, was it like 8%? It was in the progress. I think it was. You read that too? I think so, yeah. I think it was a little less than that. Might have been 3%. I think I, I remember 3 or 6 when I saw the statistic, I was astonished. You're going to find this tab for us? Hopefully. See if you can find it. When, when you saw that statistic, were you not astonished by it? Uh, astonished by the, the... How low it low was. Low? Because you knew Charlottesville City was a third. Uh, I don't know that I was astonished. I was astonished by it. Give us the, See if you can find us the stat. I want to say it's about 6%. For the Albemarle County Police Department with its vacancy. One of the things that I was a bit um, disappointed about, maybe disappointed is not the right word, Alice Berry in her article 
tried to get the Almaro County Police Chief to speak on the record, and he did not want to speak on the record. That was Chief Sean Reeves. He said the root cause of the violence locally is gang violence in a press conference recently. And then Alice Berry tried to follow up with Albemarle County Police Chief Sean Reeves to get more insight, and he did not offer commentary. In fact, multiple requests from Reeves went um, unanswered, um, according to Alice Berry's um, reporting. I'd like to see the communication from Almore County's police chief like the Charlottesville police chief is doing. 6%, I was right. Yeah. The vacancy rate in Almore County's police department is 6 Charlottesville City's a third. So we're talking a delta of like 24% plus. Charlottesville City versus Almore County Police Department. Yeah. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. That speaks to cost of living. And it speaks to how officers are treated. It speaks to the level of stress. It speaks to not being able to live in the community you police. More of the county officers are living in Albemarle than the Charlottesville officers are living in the city. But when an invisible line that no one really knows, the city-county line, when one department is staffed at a 70% clip, and another department is staffed at a 94% clip, you better do a hard look to see what's the difference. Because all I can tell the difference for me is stress, quality of life. The financial compensation is marginal. Almoros are paid more, but marginally more. They can afford to live in Almoral County, more housing stock. Yeah. 94 versus 70% staffing levels. All right, to close this topic, what do you want to see? What do I want to see? You mean in terms of the... Uh... Anything, anything you want to cover on this? Well, I think... Uh... Dr. West Bell, I just saw your uh, DM, Dr. Uh, Bill McChesney. Um, Bill McChesney, the mayor of McIntyre, sent me a screenshot from Wes Bellamy. And Wes Bellamy, the one-time city councilor, Dr. Bellamy, who's a professor, college professor, said this on Twitter. My city, like a lot of cities, has been ravaged by gun violence as of late. A few of us have been spending a lot of time talking to the youngins and guys my age about what's going on to try to calm things down. A reoccurring theme, a lack of self-confidence and self-worth. Hmm. I respect that. Yeah, I mean, uh, between and, and and I've said this between the um, between the pandemic and inflation and uh, uh, an in, truly insane job market. I think uh, it's and everything else rising uh, rising rent and home prices. I mean, we were just talking about rent at the villas at Southern Ridge. It's okay if we talk about that. I mean, I wasn't even going to bring it up. but You just, can bring it up if you want. It really puts a, I mean, it's 2X'd. Yeah, 2X'd in how many years? Less than 10. Less than 10. So, I mean. I mean, I got a, what we're talking about is I got a, a rental at the Villas of Southern Ridge. First spot I ever owned yeah. was an apartment complex that was converted to condos down 5th Street, extended off Old Lynchburg Road. <laughs> Interesting. Where interestingly, it's located where some of this has happened. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> when I moved out of that place, which was December two thousand thirteen, I rented it in February of twenty fourteen because we took a little time to move out and to mm-hmm. rehab it, paint it, carpet it. Yeah. In February of twenty fourteen. This three-bedroom, two-bath condo at the Villas of Southern Ridge that was basically 1,200 square feet, rented for 950 a month. Yeah. I rented it to a single mom with four kids. Today, that same condo is running for 2,050 a month. So from 950 to 2,050 a month, from February 2014 at 950 a month to now 2,050 a month. And it's now, uh, I mean, nine years later. 
It's nine years later, Judah. Yeah, and that's amazing. And I'm low. I'm one of the lowest ones in the entire villas. There's a lot of people at the villas that are uh, um, investors and, and even single unit owners that are renting these condos for twenty three, twenty four hundred a month. I'm always the lowest in what I do when it comes to renting because I maintain occupancy that way. If you go one month of vacancy, even if your rent is three hundred bucks more than the other one, it's really hard to make that up. And oftentimes, yeah. when you go one month of vacancy, you go two months of vacancy, and then you'll never make it up over the course of a lease, yeah. one year lease. So I go low, maintain occupancy. Yeah. Go ahead. I know you have something you want to say about this. So. Either way, we're looking at, uh, I, you know, I, I, I think there's something that we don't talk about a lot. We talk about, uh, <clears throat> we bring up the fact that a lot of people are, you know, a lot of people are moving out of Charlottesville. Uh, they may still work here. Uh, we probably have, uh, you know, we've talked about the, the teachers and the police officers and the... the uh, Frontline workers. Yeah. The fire department people, the the nurses, um, moving out of out of Charlottesville, but still working here. Uh, but what about the people that? Uh, what about the people that can't even afford to move? I don't think we t- we touch on that at all. What's that mean? What, it means people that are stuck in leases because now, if you want to move to a new place, you have to put first month's rent, last month's rent, and security deposit down. Oftentimes, having to fork over, say, in the case of the villas here, over six thousand dollars on day one, and them not mention, having that. Not to mention moving costs and headaches, opportunity costs. Yeah, and for for some people, it's just not it's just not feasible. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing, like you mentioned, is probably like. What do you do about first like if you're not if you can't make rent in Charlottesville, you're not saving up for first and last and security and security. Like where does that money come from? And so you want to know why people start getting into, you know, gangs and and whatever uh, drugs. It's it's, need, it's systematic, need, you're they saying. Need money. It's systematic. Yeah. It's, on top of that, inflation, on top of that, no jobs. Yeah, exactly. What do you turn? I mean, does it get better then? It's not getting cheaper. It's not getting cheaper. I don't know uh, how it gets people, better. People aren't going to drive 45 minutes to take a $15, hour, $15 an hour job. And probably can't either. No. I don't, know how, I don't know how you could afford to. Yeah. I mean, that pretty much, even if you were, uh, you know, even... If you're driving from Waynesboro to the Charlottesville much- City on a $15 an hour job... I don't care how much you're saving on uh, on rent and whatever else you're you're losing it in gas and wear and tear. And most importantly, your time. Yeah, driving so, over a mountain. So I, you know, I, all that all that to say that uh, you know um, we've got articles saying we don't know where the uh, where the gun violence is coming from. But how about this from from Melissa Denham? Is it Denham? Melissa Denham? Is that how I say it, Melissa? This is the first time I think she's ever commented on the show. Melissa, thank you for commenting on the show. It's probably Denham. D-E-N-H-A-M? Denham? Melissa Denham? We appreciate your comment, Melissa. I love any time a first-time commenter comments on the show and and, and joins us in the discussion. I'm going to read this comment to you. Are you ready? Charlottesville seems to be heading back to how it was in the early 1990s. People were scared to have families on the downtown mall area because of unrest. You buy that? Yeah. You buy that? See, I thought you, I, I thought you would not buy that. We appreciate her comment regardless, right? I mean, you're the one that brings up repeatedly the fact that, uh, that Lauren won't go to the, won't come she to will the downtown not. mall. Yeah. She won't bring her friends to the downtown mall. I'm sure there are other people that, are, that feel the same way. Um, I know there are a I lot mean, of she asked me on Saturday, and it was kind of tongue-in-cheek. We were considering going to Dairy Market on Saturday with the family, and uh, my in-laws are staying for the month of March with us. I love my in-laws. She's like, is it safe for us to go there? It's like, come on. It's safe for us to go to Dairy Market. But what I've learned in my time of being married, she's made me a better person, is if someone has that perspective, just because I do not have that perspective, I cannot marginalize the fact that she's feeling that way. Yeah. Like and her feelings are actually meritable because they, she genuinely feels this way. 
And there are other people that feel that way as well. Other people that feel that way as well, 100%. Like our feelings and our outlook are not, <laughs> I, I struggle with this, and you've also helped me with this. This is not how everyone feels. Everyone's entitled to their own feelings. Mm -hmm. And it's meritable. Yeah. I was reading um, a Twitter thread um, about the downtown mall, and one thing that folks are struggling with is that one time, say 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, parents would drop their kids downtown. This was really before cell phones took off. They dropped their kids off downtown, say on a Friday, and then say, we'll pick you up at 11 o'clock at night here. Yeah, I mean, I used to ride my bike around Los Angeles. Now, Don't be late. Now it's probably close to unheard of. One of my buddies said, um, that grew up in the area, he's relatively our age, he said after school they would go to the downtown mall and downtown was the epicenter of social socialization for teenagers. Mm. And then they would go downtown after school, they'd have their backpacks, and they'd be able to um, go to the mud house on the downtown mall. Mm. And the mud house back then was way more kid-friendly. <laughs> We're talking like 90s, early 2000s, where they would come in, they'd be able to buy like a smoothie or something that was extremely affordable. And then they'd take their backpacks from school and they'd hide them behind the couches at the mud house so they wouldn't have to carry all their, stuffs, all their stuff. It was their proverbial or metaphorical locker room, if you may. Yeah. And then after dropping their stuff off behind the couches at the mud house, they'd go and hang out and walk around the mall. And then they'd uh, come back with pickup time and get their stuff and leave. And that was how it was done. Years yeah. and years and years. A generation spent time downtown like that. Mm -hmm. Neil Williamson says, should locality economic development offices be focused on lower rung career ladder jobs? That's an interesting question from the president of the Free Enterprise Forum. Should locality economic development offices be focused on lower rung career ladder jobs? I think in some ways, the Economic Development Office is prioritizing jobs like this, Neil, by offering $500,000 in taxpayer money to fund, say, a restaurant incubator called the Beacon Project from New Hill Development Corporation. So the Economic Development Office, by funding this restaurant incubator, is in some ways prioritizing lower-rung career ladder jobs. And by lower-rung career ladder jobs, I think he's characterizing them as... What would you call the lower-rung career ladder jobs? Living wage jobs? Maybe entryway office jobs? UVA's called living wage in this community 15 bucks an hour, which someone explained to me how you're going to live on 15 bucks an hour in this area. But that's the UVA's living wage, $15 an hour. UVA is... Hold, you, you can say it. Don't hold back if you've if you got something you've got to say. Uh, I mean, I've, I've heard about UVA being notoriously cheap with... Uh, with whatever they can get away with. We, we've... Frugal? That's one way to put it. <laughs> we know the uh, stories. Should they be focused on these jobs? Or should economic development be focused on company attraction and private sector creates these jobs? Is the job of economic development to create job diversity by pay scale? Or is the job of economic development to foster an economy where private companies can create the job diversity with the pay scale? I'd prefer the economic development offices in Charlottesville, now Morrow County, to focus limited, their limited resources, their time, on attracting new business to the area. Hmm. And as they attract new business to the area those businesses then create the job di diversity from a pay standpoint. I don't think it should be the economic development office's responsibility to say we need to figure out a way to create 5,000 new $15 an hour jobs somehow. Right. Instead, what they can do is we need to figure out a way to bring 15 companies, 20 companies, that can then figure out on their own how to create these $5,000, $15 an hour jobs. That's just my two cents. You agree, disagree? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, uh, let's, let's rely on businesses to know what's best for them. And, uh, uh, you know, the city, gov government's, uh, government's always better off staying out of business. Gov there you go. 
government's always better off staying out of business. Governments are always better off being smaller and in the background as opposed to leading the charge. I've seen government lead the charge in Charlottesville for too long, and it has not worked out well. Vanessa Parkhill agrees with us. Yes, company attraction, private sector jobs should be the focus for economic development. Thank you for watching. Mm -hmm. I read this live on air. She's the queen of Earliesville. I mean, interestingly, and it speaks to... um, This is not a bad comment from Kevin Yancey. Why does the city not have an apprentice program like UVA for service trade jobs? That's an interesting idea. I like that, Kevin Yancey. Why not have it for more than just those? What would would he... Go deeper on that thought. Mm. I mean, I guess maybe service trade jobs covers quite a bit. Um, Yeah. Uh, Why not... uh, why not boost? Uh, why not boost your um, your employable um, populace as as much as as much as possible? Or is that what is that what the city's trying to do with the purchase of KTEC by taking full control of KTEC? Could be. Now Albemarle County no longer uh, at the table, the decision making table with KTEC. But uh, what's that? The Charlottesville Albemarle. But not everybody's gonna technical go, education center. Is that KTEC? Not everybody's going to go back to KTEC. Uh, you know, why not put more money into advertising um, the ability to train people on the job for you know various? I mean, obviously, you, you want you you want the city of Charlottesville to do the ad campaign? Hmm. Why not? A lot of the uh, no, I'm I'm open minded to this. I like somebody's, this. Somebody's somebody's got to get people into the trades. Uh, into the service jobs, somebody's got to uh, uh, somebody's got to be the entry point, and uh, and somebody has to let people know, like all these people that are running around with guns, like what if you told them that, uh, hey, look, put your gun down. We can help you get a uh, you know we can help you get into a job that'll uh, that can that will eventually make it a lot easier for you to cover all those bills that are so tough right now. Seville Tomorrow's got an article out um, on uh, Antoine Brinson. I love Antoine Brinson. He's come on this program before. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I want to make sure I got Antoine Brinson's credentials exactly right. Doesn't he have a program to teach people, uh, people in, um, in prison yeah, incarcerated Cooking. individuals. That was on, was that on, I believe that was on Seville Tomorrow, Charlottesville Tomorrow. I'd like to see more content creation from Charlottesville Tomorrow. I've seen it a few places over the last uh, month or two, and I think it's an amazing idea. And yeah, kudos to, uh, to Antoine Brinson for. He's come for on the talk show. Something like that, yeah. He's a great guy. Mm-hmm. He's the owner, uh, Antoine Brinson is the owner of Culinary Concepts AB, the owner president. Yeah. He's got a, a chef background, previously the executive chef at the Common House right down the street from us, the private club on Market Street. Antoine Brinson, also on the HBO show, The Big Brunch. Antoine Brinson talks about the density in this area, restaurant density, and how it creates a Rob Peter pay Paul mentality. He says Charlottesville has over 500 restaurants in a 10-square-mile radius. And this creates a Rob Peter pay Paul mentality. I'm going to seal your dishwasher and pay him 50 cents more because there are no other dishwashers in the area. So what Antoine Brinson is doing now is he's creating a concept that is going to uh, train folks that are incarcerated at Albemarle Charlottesville Regional Jail in a multi-week long culinary training program to give them the foundation when released from jail to go to restaurants and fill open positions. I think this is a great idea. Oh, it's an There's amazing a- idea. And we need more of that across all, asp- all sectors, um, you know, people going into the prisons. And uh, I think we need to take our prisons back from the government and uh, basically make them places where people can learn a trade, where they can be made ready to come back out into uh, – into the public. I think we mentioned it on a, on a show before. The show before we mentioned it on, and I, I, sometimes I interrupt you, probably more than I should. This time I'm certainly doing it, I apologize. It was the, should folks that 
were felons be allowed to teach in schools. Yeah. Because remember, it was um, Charlottesville City Schools. Mm-hmm. We didn't even know about this until this talk show reported it. Charlottesville City Schools lobbied Richmond, state government, to allow felons, convicts. Cer- certain types. Certain types. Nonviolent felons. Yeah. Nonviolent felons, convicts. Mm hmm. To have the opportunity or the ability or the freedom after they've been released from the slammer to teach children. Richmond said, no way, Jose. Yeah. I said, no way, Jose. My wife's exact response was, oh, hell no. Okay. And I would imagine a lot of mamas feel that way as well. I love the concept of training folks at Almar Regional Jail for an opportunity to work in the restaurant sector and help fill these vacancies. That's different than teaching kids. It's completely different than teaching children. And frankly speaking, how many of you guys have worked in restaurants? Have you worked in restaurants? I worked in restaurants through high school, through paid my way through college, and some after college to work in restaurants. If you've ever worked in restaurants, you know there's a lot of folks with checkered pass, especially in the back of the house. They have checkered history when it comes with interaction with the law. I've worked in, I don't know, seven, eight restaurants in my time. No, a lot of folks that have run-ins with the police and the back of the house in restaurants. Mm-hmm. And some of the best workers I worked alongside in restaurants, in the seven restaurants that I worked in, had checkered pass because they had the proverbial chip on their shoulder. I have something to prove to everyone around me that I can be reformed. I can learn from my mistakes and be a different person. Is that what the chip was? Is that what? Is that what the chip on the shoulder was? Well, what do you think the chip on the shoulder was? Maybe it was, I can't get a job anywhere else. So I'm stuck washing dishes at uh... Ruby Tuesdays and barracks road where I used to work. Yeah. The dishwasher during my time at Ruby Tuesdays in Barracks Road was a convicted felon who was still entrepreneurial outside after his felony conviction. Not to the point of a felony level, but... He probably had to be. He probably had to be. He probably had and to be. In, lies, in fact, I know for a fact he had to therein be. Therein lies the problem. Therein, lie, therein lies the rub. You take somebody that maybe hasn't done anything all that wrong... Uh, they've served their time, uh, whether or not they were given consideration to how they were going to make ends meet once they left prison. Uh, now they're now they're out, and if you're going to remove the means of taking care of yourself uh, by not allowing them to get jobs that pay for the things that they need, then they end up right back. Where they started. Well, look at what Paul MacArthur just put in the feed. He's the king of uh, he's the king of the South Side. Paul MacArthur. Um, he says not allowing people who have served their time to get good jobs keeps the cycle going. Hundred ten percent. Yeah. Hundred ten percent. But there's a difference between allowing a convicted felon, even if that convicted felon is a nonviolent offender, to teach children and working in restaurants like Culinary Concepts AB is doing. There's a difference there. You disagree with that statement. Uh, I can tell by your body language you disagree. I think there's... You're also coming at this as, as, as a non-parent. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not coming at this in terms of like, oh, well, there's an acceptable amount of, uh, like, what? Acceptable, acceptable amount of, of uh, convicts working with your kids. What about, uh, I mean... What about a former teacher? Derek Bond wants to know what's the difference. Derek Bond owns the Melting Pot and Moe's. I love Derek Bond. He operates a hell of a restaurant. Derek Bond's a hell of a businessman. He bought Moe's. We helped broker that deal for him. Derek Bond, I, Derek is watching this program. I will say this with confidence and conviction. Knows how to treat a staff. Because he knows how to treat a staff, Melting Pot's got a staff. Moe's has got a staff. He knows how to run a business. He knows how to keep cost, and cost of goods in check. He knows how to read a balance sheet, a P&L. He knows how to take restaurants and make them profitable. He says, Jerry, what's the difference between allowing a convicted felon to work in the restaurant or teaching schools? What's the difference? He, wants, he, he asked that question. Fair question. 
I agree because not because n not every person that's gone to prison is you know I think we have this uh, conception in our minds of uh, possibly racist, possibly uh, classist uh, ideas of who ends up in prison, and I, there are I'm sure there are teachers and mathematicians and economists and all kinds of I mean. We were talking about banks earlier. It's probably filled with more criminals than most prisons. Look. And the point being that just because somebody was in prison doesn't mean that they were doesn't mean that they were in prison versus convict. Jail mean, versus convicted felon are two different things. Okay, I'm not sure what you're getting at. Felon, a, a felon is a different. Someone who's a, a has a felony on their record, that's a different level of crime than someone who's got a misdemeanor on their record. Yeah, and someone with a misdemeanor probably wouldn't have gone to prison. Exactly. Thank you. Okay, so there's thresholds here. There's degrees of this. Yeah, there are definitely. Kevin, uh, they, they let's see asking, here. They weren't asking to allow uh, violent convicted criminals to be allowed to teach. Students, and I think most of these, uh, most of the jobs they're trying to fill aren't teaching jobs, anyways. Well, that's fair. They're trying to fill. Will you allow? Okay, Matt, Matt Daring, I see your comment here. I still need to know what crimes. To say that I don't want a person with a DUI anywhere near my kids in any situation, no matter what, is a little excessive. I think it's fine with someone. I think it's fine for someone with a DUI to work in the lunchroom at the school or be the school admin. Not everyone that works at a school teaches children. Hundred percent, good point, Matt. Would you be okay if someone who's been who's got a um, a felony conviction for a DUI, which means it's a pretty serious. DUI, if he's got a felony con conviction with the DUI, would you be okay if that person drove a school bus? Under, I, I mean, that's a tough one. Uh, under certain circumstances, maybe they need to, maybe they need to take a, a breathalyzer before they, they get on the bus. The interlocked, the interlocked device in the bus, every time the bus, before it starts, they have to blow in the interlock. Interestingly, the interlock device, you're not only blowing before you start the car, you're blowing throughout driving the vehicle. It's not just to start the vehicle. You're asked to blow in the device throughout driving the vehicle anytime the vehicle's yeah. on. I mean, that's an extreme case. Uh, but, but seriously, uh, speaking honestly, what's to stop any of the bus drivers that are currently driving buses from being drunks. Oh, because, I mean, we see it all the time. We see just, folks getting popped all the time. That just haven't been caught yet. Yeah, we see folks getting popped all the time. That isn't, that isn't to say that we, you know, that we go out and try to find bus drivers of, you know, in uh, AAA meetings. I mean, uh, I mean, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, AA meetings. Uh, but uh, I think it just means that, uh, it just means that, you know, Somebody's if somebody's out of prison and Derek Bond says best never best never to label anyone. People make mistakes and deserve second chances. Yeah. Hunter, I I I said I literally said love this comment, and I liked it, and so did Kevin Yancey and Juan Sarmiento, the king of transportation, the lead technician for Charlottesville City and its um, vehicle fleet. Juan Sarmiento, we love when you watch the program. Um, and Matt says, Matt says a negative ghost writer is negative ghost writer to help me understand this comment, Matt, negative ghost writer. So you would be okay if someone with the DUI was then hired to drive a school bus in your kids, or you would not be okay. I want to understand the concept, the context think, of your negative ghost writer. Kevin Yancey says, depending on the felony, they will, will not qualify for a CDL to drive school buses. Yeah, I think that's a better point than, uh, than the one that I was making. Yeah, I, there are already checks in place to, to keep certain people from certain jobs. Uh, the mayor of McIntyre says a convicted felon would not be allowed to be a scoutmaster in the uh, Boy Scouts. They would not be allowed to be a scout. So the Boy Scouts don't allow convicted felons to lead children. Should school systems follow the same? Richmond said, 
you can't take convicted felons and put them in schools, working for public schools. Interesting, interesting topic. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I don't have the answer for it, but uh, um, again, I think we need to uh, we need to take a look at how we treat. We need to take a look at how we uh, how we take care of people in prison so that they don't uh, they don't just end up back there. Oh, hundred percent. And part of that is making them. Uh, you know, Assimil- make- help them assimilate into society so make- they don't need to fall back to crime. Making them job worthy, like yeah. what Antoine Brinson is doing, and uh, and helping them become, you know, I think uh, we haven't gotten into this, but the uh, there's this whole thing with um, repealing child labor laws uh, in some states, and I think that's part of that is a uh, a reaction to to all these job openings need for uh for workers and we've got we've got people that we could be focusing on you know rather than just keeping them in prison we could be focusing more on helping them you know become upstanding members of society. I don't think the labor shortage we have is going to be, the labor shortage is going to be solved by assimilating mm, there's, there's folks never, from jail into the shortage. There's rarely a the, single solution to any problem. That's fair. That's but, a good response. Uh, it could help. Silver bullet, silver buckshot. Could help alleviate some issues. Yeah, that's fair. Um, good show. Good show today. Any closing thoughts for you? Something that tickled your fancy? Bellamy Brown on Friday. Got yeah. a little... Uh, Bellamy was a little... Um, ruffled, perhaps, with some of my comments with Christina Coulson on Friday. I'm not surprised. When I made the comment that Coulson and Norris were the favorites to win the race. The whole reason I made the comments of Coulson and Norris as the favorites to win that race was not a knock on Bellamy, who you know I love, nor was it a knock on Deshaun Cooper, who I do not know from Adam. I'm guessing it had more to do with there being, uh, uh, what you call it, natural Democrats? I mean, I just think Colson and Norris are the favorites because they've been elected into office before. Of the four, those two have, actually, have won a race. Mm-hmm. That's why I said they're they're a favorite on paper. On paper, they're the favorite to win. That's fair. Um, I also think in an off-off year, which we have now, the engagement's going to be pretty meager. Hmm. It's going to be pretty meager, especially since this race is going to be decided in a Democratic primary. So this race ain't even going to make it till November. So in an off-off year, your best engagement is in the November month, not in the primary. This race gets determined in June. Mm Mm-hmm. And the reason I think in June Norris and Coulson are the favorites is because of the name recognition that comes with being an elected official. That's, that's, it was no knock on Mr. Brown, who I love. Yeah. I also think, interestingly, interestingly in this race, you have um, three of the four candidates in the race, African-American. They are going to split the African-American vote. Three of the four in the race. And as that vote is potentially split, that could be tailwinds for Norris. We'll see. That one, undoubtedly, the most competitive of the races we're going to have, with the close second being the Creedee Sally Hudson race that will be also be determined in a Democratic primary as well. Um, all right, that's the talk show. We do the best we can with what we got every day. That's how we go about life. Do the best you can with what you got. And I think we did that today. Judah Wickhauer, Judah B. Wickhauer, J-Dubs, the man of a haircut, who's getting props till, till this day for his haircut. Can you shuffle your locks, do a little haircut move for the viewers and listeners watching the show? Oh, wow. That was nice. That was suave. I like that. That was good. I mean, it's just... Uh... You got the bangs to, to do it. Can you do that again? I say, <laughs> good job. That's nice. Excellent work today. Um, 
See you guys, what, tomorrow at 1230 for the I Love Seville show, Judah? Most likely. You guys have a good afternoon. Take care. I like when you uh, do the little hair sweep over there.